My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today I am sitting down with Sadie St. Lawrence. Sadie is the founder of Women in Data. Welcome Sadie. Thanks Patricia. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to climb into both Women in Data as well as I know you've got a couple of other things in um, going on with you. Really quickly, Sadie's website is sadiesaintlawrence.com. Um, for any of those looking to get more into what we talk about here today, please visit that. A quick roadmap for today's podcast for everyone listening and new to us. Um, we're first going to look at this podcast will follow a roadmap that's similar to all podcasts on this series. First, it'll analyze um, questions regarding Sadie's academic background and early professional life to give us kind of a purview of um, who she is as an entrepreneur, as a professional person. Then we'll unpack um, women in data and other endeavors that Sadie may have. We'll get into the logistics of who, what, when, where, why, and how, and then we'll get into some of the other like ethos or philosophy behind it. Maybe some of the populations that um, or areas that she specializes in with um, women in data as well as the other endeavors. And then we'll turn towards goals that Sadie has for the next three years regarding scaling, expansion, um, any personal goals within that that tie in. We'll wrap everything up with advice that Sadie has for those of you looking to either mirror what she has done um, with some of her success or per- get involved with her current endeavors. Really brief bio on Sadie before I start peppering her with questions. Sadie St. Lawrence is the founder of Women in Data, an AI strategist consult- strategy consultant for Accenture and a data science teacher on Coursera. She loves helping others realize their purpose and manifest their dreams. That's a very tight, neat bio, Sadie. I like that. I try to keep my bio like two sentences or less. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'll lose them. I'll lose them. But, exactly. Uh, it gives me a lot to ask about, which I love. But before we get into um, unpacking women in data, would you give everyone like a brief um, synopsis of your academic background and early professional life to kind of offer that bird's eye view about you? Yeah, definitely. So I love to share my story because it wasn't a straight path into data science and AI and all the tech work I do. And I actually find that when we see women getting into this field, we call it kind of the pinball method. You know, they bounce around a lot before they find that one kind of calling or purpose. And so that definitely happened for me. So 
I actually started out in school for piano performance. Um, so quite different than anything working on computers or with data. Um, and this really was because in high school and in all of my, you know, early education, I was so I didn't I didn't have an actual academic record. And so when I went to apply for colleges, they were kind of like, we just don't know what you can do. And so I played the piano for them and they're like, well, we can tell you're talented and smart. Um, and so we'll give you scholarships for that. And so it kind of was just a natural progression to go into that. It was something I really enjoyed and it allowed me to get into school. But soon after being in a piano performance major, I started taking all these science classes and I just realized like how much more the world there was out there um, and how much I really wanted to explore the scientific method and do research. And so I switched my major to psychology and neuroscience. And at that time, I was working really heavily in research labs. So I worked in an evolution and ecology of fishes lab. I worked in a neurobiology lab of emotional learning and memory. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with just research and the process of the scientific method. But as I finished my undergraduate, I realized that, one, I didn't want to kill rats anymore or be stuck in like a dark you know, closed room of a lab. Yeah. So I really looked to see how do I get rid of the parts of my job I don't like and add more to the parts I do like. And what I loved was that analysis part. And this was in 2014. So data science was very um, immature. It was just started in 2010. Um, and so there were actually only five schools giving master's degrees in data science. And so I decided to go that path um, and then went in and got my master's um, in analytics and data science and then have just been exploring all the facets of that field since then. It's, I mean, and like you said, it's really kind of burgeoned since that time period. It's interesting when you're kind of this founding pillar, you know, this founding um, uh, mind in a field because you can really watch, you know, some of the, the beginnings grow and then trends begin to form out of that. I'm wondering when you were getting your master's, did you know that you kind of wanted to get into AI strategy as a consultant or did you form that after your master? I formed it after, you know, when I first got into the field, there was just so much to learn. And like many new people I see coming in, it's just like, I don't even know really who I am or what I want to be in this field. And so the strategy aspect really took the experience because um, now I've been working in it for about five years. And so from there, I was like, okay, I have all this experience in working in data engineering and data science and AI and all the, the realm of tech that it encapsulates it and I really wanted something where I could apply that overall and so the strategy was a natural progression and I love to be high level now I love to like look problems and I like to communicate that and so it really is a natural progression I think when you pursue what you love and like just learn 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 your path will just kind of unfold to you and that's how it did for me here yeah. Did you ever go in-house after you concluded your master's degree or did you always, did you go straight into consultancy? No. So I actually worked um, for a vision insurance company 
for about four years. And in that, I was a research analyst. I was an analytics enablement engineer. I was a data scientist. And so that was really cool to be part of an organization and help them with their analytics maturity and, and stay there for that whole time. Sometimes consultants have a bad rep of coming and giving you a recommendation and then walking away. Yeah. And so got that experience of seeing, um, okay, what happens when you implement that recommendation? Does it work? Um, and so after I had that experience, it really made sense for me personally to go into consulting because I tried a lot of things and failed and I wanted to use those experiences to help other people. Nice. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I was just discussing with another podcast, the difference between consultancy and contracting. Mm-hmm. You know, and how contracting kind of employs something that they sit around and continue to function with. And consultancy is getting an expert opinion that may or may not be implemented by said individual. So I think it's cool that you kind of differentiated that yourself as well. So let's get into um, uh, Women in Data. How was it founded? Was there an impetus for the launch? What year did it launch? And were you the only founder? Yeah, so... I, I was the only founder. It was in 2015. I was actually getting my master's degree at that time, and I was working full time. Um, and just because the whole industry was relatively new, there wasn't a community for it where I was. And then there wasn't any type of community for women who were working in this space. So since I was working, I was experiencing, hey, where are all the women in this space? Um, but then where's the community? And so it started just with a meetup group. Um, I will say I launched an event and said, hey, does anyone want to come network at this location? And I was terrified because for the first 15 minutes, no one showed up. And I was just like, so <laughs> and was sitting there by myself took a book. I called my boyfriend at the time and was like, what am I doing? This is dumb. This is crazy. And he's like, wait five more minutes. And I was like, okay, I can hold on for five minutes. And three people ended up showing up. And I just think back to that moment all the time of like, how often do we give up before, you know, three feet from gold, or there's, you know, three people who come to your meeting and really start the foundation of it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really exciting to see how it's taken off just from really meagle beginnings. So let's get into how it's structured. Um, what is it? Can you describe it for the audience and how is it structured? What is the intention and what is who does it serve? Yeah, so our mission is to increase diversity in data careers. And we really do this through three areas of supporting our community with awareness, education, and then helping them advance in their career. And what we do now is we have chapters in 16 locations internationally, and they hold quarterly events. And so they hold, you know, we kind of outgrew our meetup platform, and so they hold quarterly symposiums. And this really facets on that awareness. So anyone can come to these events and get an idea of what's happening in the industry, but it's also just a great place to network with other women working in tech and in this area. And then from there, we also have quite a few programs. So we do a residency program. So it's a great way for people who are transitioning their careers to get some experience working in um, data science or in data engineering. And then we partner with companies to provide a job board and help people get placed into careers and advance in their career. 
And when you say in this area, which region are you referring to? So again, we have chapters in 16 locations. The majority are in the US today. Just this year, we launched, um, expanded our international. So we have one in Vancouver and one in Nairobi, and then we have one coming in Berlin, um, and then a couple other locations in Europe and um, Asia. But right now, the majority, if you're in the U.S., you know, we're all on the East Coast and West Coast and, and centrally located. We're trying to fill in a little bit more in central parts of the U.S. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit harder, but yeah, pretty heavily located in the U.S. today. So how is it structured? Is it franchise-based or is it chapter-based? And are you, are you kind of um, running that entire show or do you have other people that are helping? How much, uh, what are the kind of key differences that could exist between two different locations all of that yeah so really it, it's chapter based but we do a lot on the organizational side so what a chapter is responsible for is really holding those local events um, but we provide them with all the materials that they need they're really just responsible for getting a location and then getting local speakers and then as an organization we we work with companies to partner and find jobs. We are the ones who put on like the residency program and the larger overall program it's because a lot of the people who work on the chapter side are volunteers. So things that take um, longer time commitments, we do that as an organization. Nice. Um, so the different areas that you, you specialize with, you talked about diversity. Does it span um, gender, racial, um, ability? When you talk about diversity, how are you guys defining it? Yeah, so we define diversity just in terms of gender and ethnicity. And so obviously with our name, we're focused on getting women or, or people who identify as female into the field. Um, we do allow men to attend our events. And, you know, we were just chatting before the show about how sometimes you create these things for women and men that come in and, and want to support, which we love. Um, there's a lot of men who have women and data stickers on their laptops or wear our shirts um, and they're, they're great to have as allies and we encourage them to come to our events as well because we think it's important to show a world where men and women are working together yeah. and then to be involved in a female-led environment and see and experience what that looks like. Yeah. So yeah, the audience is, you know, women of all, um, you know, above the age of 18 and of all ethnicities. Um, and then men are welcome, but our primary focus is for women. Have you been approached by any other um, like-minded, I keep thinking of organizations or nonprofits or even political groups that would want to kind of affiliate or partner up with you. Has that taken place or been anything on your radar that you've thought about doing? Yeah, so um, one, there are other similar organizations that are more um, located geographically. So like She Loves Data is a similar organization to ours and they're more heavily focused in Asia. Um, there's a Women in Data Science Conference at Stanford. And so we really do try and partner with other organizations that are similar to ours. The way we look at it is 
there are so many, there's so, this is such a big problem. The more people we can have tackling it from different angles, the better. Um, and then we have done a partnership with Girl Scouts before where we took our membership and really just had the women come in and share their stories or do workshops. Um, there's a lot of liability in working with people of younger demographics. So we love to partner with organizations who specialize in that and then just bring in our expertise to be mentors. Yeah, I'm feeling like the outreach is like that it kind of reaches on with the Girl Scouts, but like high school organizations or things like that where you can kind of nab up some of these individuals and groups, you know, um, of individuals at a younger age is, is kind of paramount to the fix, right? Making sure that we um, educate young women and women identified individuals from before getting into college about the data, the data and um, the applicability of, of their lives there. Yeah, we see that as really just a big need for awareness in that space. Um, you know, when I was in high school, this wasn't even a career option, right? So it's really hard to you know, if I'm teaching them tools or something, I don't know if those tools are going to be around or be relevant, right? Um, but sharing that awareness of like, hey, this is what a, win a woman in tech looks like, or this is what a woman in AI looks like, right? Just providing that awareness so that people can identify and say, oh, that may be a direction I want to go or I can explore it further has like such a great impact. And again, it just comes down to like sharing those stories and, you know, being your authentic self. This is who I am and, and I work in this space. Um, and, and maybe there's something they can relate to there. Absolutely. So looking forward with what you've got going on, it sounds like there's exponential growth um, every single year as far as expansion with geography. But do you have um, any kind of dedicated goals for the next three to five years that you'd like to see, particularly women data, women in data doing? Yeah, so we're really focused on how do we help our members grow in their career and become leaders. And we do annual research um, just to see like what do they feel are the barriers. And the number one thing they found are like the barriers are not having enough females in representation. Um, representation and leaderships in their organization um, and as mentors. And so right now we're heavily working on building a mentorship program, um, but also then creating more of an offline community for people to engage with. So we have a good problem where we have to kick people out of our events because they stay so long to talk and are just so hungry to connect with other people. And so we want to see how can we build that community um, in an online fashion more too so that it's not just there for you at a quarterly event but you can connect with women in data's network of you know 7,000 plus members anytime because that's really where the power happens is allowing people to connect with others and know and see that there are leaders out there or there are you can be a mentor or you can be a mentee and there's opportunity to connect with those people. Yeah, it's all about the Zoom parties, right? I've talked yeah. to a lot of different industries. Now, I was just speaking with a craft cocktail mixer um, founder, and she was saying mm -hmm. that one of her um, ideas that I thought was so clever was doing like Zoom party hangouts with the founder. So getting, you know, everyone getting a cocktail and getting together in front of their Zoom and talking about how they liked it and how they didn't and what how they made theirs and I was like, what a creative, like no one would have assumed like in the beverage industry that Zoom parties would be like this. <laughs> it is. And I think it's a, 
it's a good solution because we're becoming a global environment. Yeah. Um, you know, thankfully I'm, I'm embracing it, but, um, and, and it's a great way to be able to get people from different chapters all together. I think that's an awesome goal. Um, getting back into some of you, like your consultancy or, um, how, some of your advisory, you know, AI strategy moments, what pieces do you think, um, obviously the work information and philosophies cross-reference each other, but with your, um, with your consultancy with Accenture, do you find things that kind of aid um, women in data or do you find things that conflict with what you're doing out there? Like, has there been any cross-sharing of information that's helped one or the other? Yeah, I would say it's been really important for me to stay in the industry and working because I get that feedback of experiences of like, oh yeah, this is why I need women in data and this is why I need a community because sometimes I feel alone in the tech space, right? Yeah. Um, just that feedback and like having that reassurance of like feeling it even for myself of like, this is what other women are going through has been really helpful. Um, and then I think just seeing things at scale. So I get to work in kind of in a startup world in a way with women in data being a young organization, we get to do things really quick and we hear feedback from community and implement it right away. And then I work for an organization that has 500,000 plus employees, right? So working in both spaces where you can take kind of the best of both worlds and then share it between your work has really um, benefited both sides of what I do. Absolutely. That broadening of perspective is key. And then, and you're teaching data science um, on Coursera, or, um, Coursera. I know I, I've read it so many times and yet the name, I'm like, why say it, Patricia? Um, how is that? How is teaching? I'm, I'm assuming it's online. Yeah. So Coursera is one of the platforms that started around the time I started data science. Um, and it's, you know, really the main platform for MOOCs, um, which is the massive open online um, learning communities that have really just started to take off. And it was the place where it started to first take classes for free online and just find that I found that I loved, you know, this industry. Um, and so one, I really wanted to give back to that because it was so, you know, essential in my career, but also there weren't any women data science teachers on the platform. And it is like the go-to place for like data science learning. And so I was like, I have to show up some representation um, and be a part of this. But I think the most amazing thing about Coursera is what can be done at scale and then what can be done um, from a global community. So, you know, my learners are from all over the world. Um, and it's just really amazing to see how many people come together and are learning the same content and subject. Um, one of the mentors who took my class and then he became a mentor, he was living in Georgia, the country of Georgia, um, and, you know, then worked for me on a few projects and now has moved back to the States um, and found a job and so it's just really amazing to see how it like brings people together um, and you have interactions with people you would never have access to and then the other thing is just what can be done at scale so i think over 120,000 people have taken my class 
Wow. There's no way I would be able to teach 120,000 people in a matter of a couple years. And so having all those people take the class, it just gets better and better because you get feedback at such a rapid pace that it optimizes the class in a faster way that could be done in, you know, traditional teaching in a classroom. And so it's beneficial for the students because they're getting better content and more refined content. And then it's awesome as a teacher because you get amazing feedback. Um, so I think it shows the power of things at scale. Did you, um, is it, so do they give you carte blanche freedom in developing the curriculum for your course or is, are there guidelines? How does it work when you're developing a course like that? And did you teach more than one course? Yes, um, Coursera works exclusively with universities. So I, you always have to have a partner university. I was on an advisory council for University of California, Davis, and then they had this opportunity come up and they suggested that I teach the class. Um, so if you're wanting to teach a class on Coursera's platform, you need to partner with the university. And then the university does a lot of work and they have a studio, they have actual education experts who their whole job is like, how do you formulate the best questions and the best structure? Um, so it really helps you in making sure that you're delivering um, content that people can follow online. Um, and so, yeah, that was the process for starting the class. And then um, I did just teach one. I was asked to teach additional ones, but it, it just didn't work with all the other things I had going on at the time. Yeah, you got a lot. I love online learning. I think it's come about in my time and I've taught online courses at the university level before and it's really dynamic. You know, I think a lot of people view it as like, okay, well, how are we going to make up for the fact that we're not in person? And I was like, how are you going to utilize, you know, the fact that you're not like it's so yeah. it's, there's a lot of tools available to you when you've got this virtual playground, you know, the mm -hmm. amount of um, resources and things that you can pull in when you're aware that everybody's got a laptop in front of them is, is pretty dynamic. It's pretty amazing. And the way that you can chat is different. And I think it's just it's kind of coming at it from a different way, you know, and, and kind of divorcing yourself from this mandatory person in front of person learning, which wasn't capable for a lot of communities from the very beginning of time anyway. So I love what it does. And I think it's, um, it's still a burgeoning field. Academia is a, a, a heavy giant, you know, and it moves yes. slowly. <laughs> I mean, they were still on Blackboard and Canvas for a minute. I think Canvas is still going, but the kings were not teaching <laughs> Canvas were nasty. Yeah. So, um, you no, know, I think you say something important about just inclusion, like the people that can be included now. Yeah because of online learning. I mean, you have single moms who wouldn't be able to get away and can do it. You have people who, um, they just don't have access to a university yeah. location. So just the inclusion that comes from it, I think is just a benefit uh, for everyone. I do too. And, um, and I believe in that, especially across academia, particularly for the United States, you mm -hmm. know, that we have that inclusive, uh, inclusiveness built into our education is kind of um, paramount to what we were developed on as a nation. So carrying that through is always good. Um, what are your goals for as far as the um, consultancy as well as the, the teaching? Are they going to remain the same? And how do you run your client um, as far as your day job or working as a consultant? Do you pick and choose or do you kind of ebb and flow with the market? How does that work? Yeah, so because I'm with a large firm, you know, there's kind of an influx of projects that 
come in. And so I do have opportunity to pick and choose, you know, which ones I think would be a really good fit. Um, I also have a career coach who has been really instrumental in helping me get clear on who I am and what I enjoy. And I would encourage everyone to do that because that helps you then when you're making decisions of like, what type of job do I want to do? What projects do I want to work on? Where do I really shine the best and make my strengths known? And so I really look for those opportunities of like, where are the opportunities where like I can be the most me? you know, and I can let that shine because that's where it's going to be good for my clients. That's where it's going to be good for me energy wise, where I'm going to have the energy to keep going. So yeah. be really clear on yourself and knowing you will help develop all the rest of those aspects. Absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned that I've talked to a lot of people that talk about professional and career coaches, even when, you know, you think, well, she seems to have her career kind of sorted. And I think that's when they become incredibly applicable, you know, because from yes. counselor in um, the college offices to career coaching. Uh, yeah. I recommend everybody have a career coach and a therapist. They're like the double duo of just like those people should be on like your speed dial and just like, you know, I, I heard a really great analogy where like a therapist is more backwards looking and healing past hurts where a career coach is like forward looking and seeing where you want to go. So when you combine those two together, um, get ready for superhuman power. It's, it's really awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. Well, so given that, you know, you've just kind of advised that you have, you know, you recommend everyone has this. My final question, what I love to ask everyone kind of the most is if you bumped into a young woman or a female identified non-binary individual tomorrow um, who had a lot of the same constituents that you've had from your background, she started off with a beautiful, you know, musical career and then switched over into data science and then um, bumped into you in this little park you were strolling in and said, listen, like I'm going to go out on my own. I, I want to do some consultancy, but I'm thinking about, you know, forming this um, endeavor where women kind of come together. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give her knowing what you know now? Yeah, I would, first of all, take some quiet time um, to really know yourself. And whether this is like through journaling works for you, whether it's talking to somebody, but really try and dive deep into those aspects beyond what I call more of the superficial layers of like a title of a job that sounds good or, you know, a company, you know, I want to work for this amazing company or whatnot. Like take some quiet time to really pull back those layers and like what brings you joy? What sparks like happiness and fulfillment? And like, when do you feel the most alive? And I would, first of all, get really clear on that. And then second of all, I would like write out your future. Um, like write a letter to your future self. I wrote my first letter to my future self when I was 10. And it's just incredible to watch your life unfold, um, you know, by the letter you write to yourself. So one, get clear on who you are. Second, write your future. And then third, like go courageously in that direction. Like know that if you set out a goal and you're clear on who you are and you want to do good in this world, like the rest will come. 
like removing those barriers of fear and all the shouldn'ts, wouldn'ts, couldn't, like those have to go away so that path can be clear and all those opportunities can come to you because they will. And that's the most fun part is seeing how they manifest and, and seeing how they realize um, into this reality. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So I've got take some quiet time to really know yourself and what brings you joy. Number two, write out your future, write a letter to your future self. And number three, go courageously in that direction. I love that. I think that's awesome advice. And I think you're right. I think part of the joy, once you really do have a direction is um, watching things kind of unfold because it's not about predicting the future. It's just about trying to steer it. Right. Yeah, you know, coming from somebody whose job is to predict things um, and do that, first of all, all predictions are wrong. If you have 100% accuracy in your model, it's a bad model. So you can never be right about predicting the future. Um, So a little bit more opening up and and allowing it to come to you is always a good thing. Absolutely. It's, it's, I love the irony in that, or perhaps not even, maybe it's non irony in you a data scientist saying those things. I think it's awesome. (laughs) I do appreciate it. Um, And I appreciate your time today and your candor. We are out of time, but um, I'll circle back around in a couple of years and find out where you and women in data and everything else are at if you will uh, give us the time. Yeah, I would love it. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. For everyone listening, this has been Patricia Kathleen talking with Sadie St. Lawrence. You can contact her via her website, sadiestlawrence.com. Thank you for giving us your time. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Sláinte.